Even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Um, those words go so well with uh, the sermon that God has laid on my heart this morning. I've wrestled with this one this week, I'll just be honest, uh, really up until this morning. Um, and uh, we're in this series that we broke away from uh, a study in the book of Romans. We broke away starting in chapter 5 where we looked at the cycle of hope and what, uh, what Paul was teaching the Romans, saying, listen, you're gonna, in order to have hope, you've got to have difficulties because those difficulties grow your patience, your endurance. That endurance grows your character, and out of that character comes real hope, this confidence in Jesus Christ, the type of hope that doesn't disappoint. That's, that's Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And we, we launched out of that into a, a Christmas series where we looked at last week, Joseph, the story of Joseph when he found hope, when the angel came to him and, and let him know, hey, you're going to be a dad, but it's not yours. You know, that's an interesting conversation uh, to have. Um, and so he found hope in that situation. And, and we found some things changed with him. His thoughts changed about the situation that he was in. Uh, his plans changed. His options changed. He thought he had one of two options. What am I going to do with Mary? And God said, whoa, whoa, whoa I'm, I'm, the, I'm a God of creation. You can't see all the options I have for you. And he pulled one out of thin air. Uh, and then and at the end, we really found that Joseph's entire purpose changed. When we find hope, our purpose changes. Actually, we don't have purpose until we find hope and give our life to Christ. So Joseph was in this mix of a situation that was kind of a, it popped up in his life, a situation, and, uh, and it was, felt hopeless to him. This week, we're going to look at uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias, and you may know the story, you may not. Um, but their situation is a little bit uh, different. Their situation is they've probably uh, lived with this, their difficulty, right? The first thing in the cycle of hope is difficulty. They've lived with their difficulty, their challenge, their test, their trial for years, decades. Uh, they were unable to have children. And so maybe some of you are not just walking into a trial and saying, what do I do? Maybe some of you have labored with it for years for decades, and you're thinking, God's never going to come through on this. And maybe you've gotten like Elizabeth and Zacharias, who I believe had gotten to a point, and it's not always a bad thing, but they'd gotten to a point in their life that I think they were probably just going through the motions. They, 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 Zacharias was a priest. We're going to get into the story. And so he, he was one of the leaders in, in, in the Jewish religion, and he, he was doing his duty when this happened. We find he was going through the motions, sometimes like we do. And we've never really, and sometimes we back away in, in this anchored belief that God is supernaturally powerful to do things that are impossible. And so sometimes we get in this thing that's been so long and, and God has not answered this. He's not delivered in this situation yet um, that, that we just start to go through the motions. Now, there is good things about being obedient and doing what we're asked to do. But doing what we're asked to do is not enough to please God. Our works will never please God. It takes faith and believing in him to do big and impossible things. To please God. It's impossible to please him without faith. 
So this morning, I wanna, I'm only going to put one verse on the screen. I've got two versions of it up there. I'm going to read them. And, uh, and honestly, these are not, it doesn't even come from the passages. If you saw what I shared last night, it doesn't even come from those passages. But this story uh, has come from the first chapter of Luke. I'm going to read verses 135 through 38, and then I want you to focus on this verse 37. Luke chapter 1, verses 35 through 38. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One is to be born, will be called the Son of God. This is the angel talking to Mary. She's getting the news that she's going to be the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, and in verse 36, it says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. That's the New King James Version translation. For, God, no, for with God, nothing will be impossible. If you look at the ESV, the NIV, they translate it a little bit differently. Uh, and they say, for no word from God will ever fail. When, the, when do you think the last time I failed was? Probably this morning, definitely yesterday. I might make it to lunch. I lose my temper, I, you know, I, I do something that's selfish, I do something that's whatever, right? I think I thought, I wish I thought, I fail. This is, the, the truth is your children, your spouse, you will fail. This is why this is so uh, amazing. This is why this verse is so captivating. It's because we cannot comprehend something that never fails. We've never experienced it because everybody we've ever met has let us down at some point in time. But God will never let you down. He will never fail. And we're going to look at this story. Uh, and, and, and honestly, I wrestled with it. I was going to do John the Baptist. I thought that was kind of would be neat to see what happened when he was first. Because he is uh, the child that Elizabeth is getting ready to give birth to. This is amazing how God is working, uh, but we're going to stick with Elizabeth and Zacharias. We're going to see what happens here. I got so many notes. They're all over the place. Usually I got, here's the main point. Here's three. You know, you all just have fun with that and taking notes. This morning, if, if you're taking notes, good luck. And just hang on. Hang on because this is, this is where we're going. So look, real quick, this cycle of hope reminds you here, difficulty, endurance, character brings forth hope. So let's think here uh, about Elizabeth and Zacharias. I want to I give you a little... Uh, a little framework here because we're coming from the gospel according to Luke and and you have to understand what we were just saying and even when you don't see him working even when you don't feel him working this is what was happening in Jerusalem when the New Testament starts if you take your Bible out and you go to the last page of Malachi in the Old Testament right you go there to get to the New Testament you turn one page okay that's a simple thing and in our mind, in our context, in our culture, like, yeah, it's Old Testament and then the New Testament. But this, this, this time between the close of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament is 400 years. 
400 years of silence for a nation that depended on prophets that shared the, the divine word of God to them and shared with them continually. There were prophets that were saying, here's what God says to do. Here's what God says to do. Here's what God says to do. And then there was Malachi. And then there was silence. You remember when your teacher was teaching and she'd get quiet or he'd get quiet? You knew either something important was getting ready to be said, right? Somebody's giving a speech and there's like this long pause. You're like, he's either completely forgot what he was going to say or this is a big deal. And I've been in both of those places. And so when you actually have forgot what you're getting ready to say, you try to think of something that's big. So it's like you didn't, you know what I'm saying. But there's this moment of silence. And 400 years, we cannot even fathom. That's five, six generations maybe. 400 years ago, imagine Pikeville. America was not even formed. My ancestors were all over the globe. For Joseph, Mary, for Elizabeth, and Zacharias, it has been 400 years since God has spoken to them. Zacharias was a priest. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the prophets. He knew all the words that uh, eventually there were, a Messiah was going to come. Uh, eventually there would be one that would, a prophet that would come before the Messiah to make the way and prepare the way for him. Zacharias knew all these words. And yet after 400 years, there's probably a tendency to start going through the motions. I mean, let's be honest. By Saturday, if we went to church last week, by Saturday we have a tendency to start going through the motions. And so in this silence... Zacharias was awaiting some words, some news. They were all waiting for this Messiah to come. They had gone through captivity of different countries. They were not the superpower they once were because they had been disobedient to God all the time. They were in Jerusalem, though. They had, they had got their temple back. They had got some synagogues. They were, they, were, they were patiently awaiting the Messiah to come. They were in what was kind of known as the, the peace of Rome. I mean, Rome was was in charge of them, was, was, they were under their captivity. But there was this level of, like, this isn't as bad as, as it's been in the past. We're going to hang out here for just a minute and get comfortable. And eventually the Messiah, which they thought was going to be a massive ruler, king, warrior, will eventually come and kick Rome out of here. That's what everybody was waiting for. And instead they got a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And if you look at the New Testament chrono chronologically, you say, what's the first thing, the first story we hear, the first thing that happens? And this is the first of the Christmas story in Luke 1, chap uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. And he's who we're talking about this morning, him and his wife, Elizabeth. I'm not going to read all those verses. I'm going to tell you what happens. Zacharias is a priest. He goes in to the, uh, he goes into the temple. He's doing his duties, burning the incense, and all of a sudden an angel appears. 
He's alone. The angel appears and said, Zacharias, your prayers have been answered. You and Elizabeth are going to have a child, and his name is John. His name is going to be John. And Zacharias responds like we might would if we had been going through the motions for some time, and we believe in God, and we're going and doing the thing. We're going to church, and we're burning the incense, and we're taking communion, and we're, we're, all, we're giving our tithes and offering. But all of a sudden, God shows up and says, I'm going to do something supernatural in your life. And we say, well, no, you can't do that. Look, I, I, I'm just going to church. And so this is what Zechariah says, like, well, how can I know that? I mean, it's the same story as Abraham. Like, we're old. Like, we're over the hill. We can't have kids. My wife is barren. And, uh, and, and so something happens. Zacharias, uh, the angel says, listen, you are going to have a child. I came from God to tell you that what God says stands. It never fails. And because of your disbelief in this moment, you're not going to be able to speak for a certain amount of time. So Zacharias, he comes out. Of the temple. He's in there too long. Everybody's outside waiting and praying. They're wondering, what, what has happened? We've waited 400 years. We're, we're waiting every moment. And, and there have been people that have popped up and said they were prophets, but then proved false. And they're just on edge, really. And so Zacharias comes out, and he can't talk. He's mute, And he's doing all this, like, signs. I don't know what he's doing, but he's trying to tell them, right? Like, this is what happened, and he can't tell anybody. What happened? I want you to see how God is working here and begins this story of how he's going to save mankind and show his love for them. Because Elizabeth and Zacharias, they probably thought they had hope because they knew the prophecies. But there's nothing like feeling it and experiencing it face to face than getting it out of your mind and into your heart that changes your life. Because they're about to find real hope. That God is real. It's not just stories that have been passed down from their grandkids or from their grandparents and their great-grandparents. It's not just this story. It's not some fable. I want to tell you, it is not some fable. I want to tell the kids in here, I remember growing up, there were times in my life I, I wondered, is all this made up? Luke, the very writer of this gospel, was the most meticulous. He was a physician. He says in the beginning of Luke, he said, I'm writing these things. He wrote it to a guy named Theophilus. I call him Theo. He was, a, he was more than likely a young Christian in Rome. He, was, he said, I'm writing you this letter so you can know for certain. I did my homework. I talked to eyewitnesses. This is what happened. We have four accounts of this. If you have any question of whether this really happened, you can watch the, the case for Christ. The case for Christmas, there's, Lee Strobel did a great job making understanding, like, this is not made-up stuff. This is real. Zacharias experiences this time he's seen the angel, he says he's going to have a kid, and it says he goes back, and uh, his wife uh, gets, gets pregnant, and, um, and then the very next story that is told in the narrative is that, uh, that the angel goes to Mary and says, hey, you're going to have a child, and that's what I just read, 35 through 38 said, listen, and your, your, your relative Elizabeth, she's six months pregnant. Everybody thought she could never get pregnant. And we find where I want to read and take a majority of the message from this morning. That was a long introduction. I promise it's shorter than the body of the sermon. I promise it's longer than the body of the sermon. Verse 39. After Mary has been told that she's going to have a baby and that Elizabeth is 
pregnant. It says, she arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Do you believe the Holy Spirit has power in your life? Like supernatural power? I can speak to you and, and show you his will for you that can deliver in unimaginable ways. I think this is just such a, a, an evidence to remind us of that. That it, that, it, that it says, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. That the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That this baby that is going to be John the Baptist. That in this moment doesn't even have his wits about him. I mean, he's not, he, can't, he can't even understand language. Yet there's something so supernatural that he was exposed to hope. That Jesus Christ was in the same room. That God was moving in such a way that he leaped in her womb for joy. It says, now indeed, uh, or it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my eyes, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. We're going to skip over now. And go, uh, go to verse 57. So Mary has gone to visit Elizabeth. She spends three months with her. Can anybody add six plus three? She, Elizabeth was six months pregnant. When Mary showed up, Mary stayed almost three. Six plus three. Anybody? Takers. Nine. We got one. Nine months. So Mary leaves before John the Baptist is born. We find in verse 57, Now Elizabeth full-time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And this is, what, this is when it starts to get real. This is when people start to question. They start to wonder, can we, are we about to find some real hope? Not hope in Rome, not hope in the Sanhedrin, not hope in the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and not hope in, in, in all the laws and the, the oral commandments and the, the written laws and all that. Not hope in those things, but can we find real hope? And so all the neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her. They rejoiced with her. They found out that she has given birth to this child and she should have never been able to give birth. Then it's here where it gets exciting, and this is where I want to take us back to the, the verse. I'm just going to leave it up here. No word from God will ever fail. For with God, nothing will be impossible. How God works supernaturally here in this moment. So it was on the eighth day, and Zacharias, he's still not talking. It's been nine months. He's not said a word. It turns out he's... Uh, by the way we read through this, he's also deaf because they start, they're trying to get him to ask him something. It says they're making signs at him. I should probably not do this. If anybody knows sign language, who knows what I've said? 
So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. That's what they do. They name him after a parent, a family. His mother answered and said, remember what the angel told Zacharias? He said, you're going to have a child, and you're going to name it John. His mother didn't know about that conversation. He couldn't talk to her. She said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, saying, his name is John. Not, I think we should name him John. Not, I agree. You see, the Lord had spoken. And when God says it is, it is. When God says it is, it is. Took the writing time, he said, his name is John. It says, so they all marveled, and immediately his mouth opened. So here you have this situation where somehow supernaturally the Spirit, Holy Spirit has told Elizabeth and, and, uh, and Zacharias, they're going to have this child, they're going to name it John. She says, let's name it John, which is a name they would have never picked. Uh, and, uh, and he says the same thing, independent of one another. And all the friends and families and neighbors are like, what is going on? And then, and, then, and then Zacharias breaks loose. He begins to talk again. He prophesied. He said, our son is going to be John the Baptist. He's the one prophesied. He said, we'll come before the Lord. This means the Messiah is nearby. This means this is about to get real. It means all this silence, all of my disappointment, all of my frustration, all of my doubt had purpose. And in this cycle of hope, we find uh, that timing is so important. It says Elizabeth's full time came to her to be delivered, is what it said in verse 37. And we find that God's always right on time. It was important to understand this wasn't happening by chance. It's important to understand there are not there's not coincidences in your life. There's not luck in your life that things do not happen by chance. The Greek word was kairos, respects earthly time, but also word that is a Greek word that means opportune time or moment. This was a supreme moment in time. They'd waited 400 years. Their patience was growing, we learned that God is always on time. He's never late. We also see here uh, in this moment uh, that when God does something like this, something big, something supernatural, it's obvious it was him. The friends, the neighbors just couldn't get their, their arms around. They knew that for something like this to happen, one, for her to have this child, and then two, for them to both want to name it the same weird name that's not even in their family, that something supernatural happened. It begins to spread, and it will uh, become known. I want to share with you just a few things as I get ready to close. 
this verse, for no word from God will ever fail. There are some things about you as a child of God that are not debatable. Some lies that we will be tempted to begin to believe about ourselves. Some lies that because of 2020 we start to hold on to and we believe in and we anchor ourselves to. When things get rough, when things get bad. We know that God said we are alive in Christ. The church is not dead. It will not die. You are not, we are not as individuals walking around without hope. We are alive in Christ. And, and, and so, you know, I hear things like people say, and the church will never be the same. Church will never be the same. People will never come back like they used to. It'll never be full again. Uh, and not just talking about ours, but just in general. And let me tell you, the church, we need to understand the last 2,000 years of what God's church has been through, of the dark ages, of the times that all-out assaults came upon it. And that in the greatest of persecution, it perseveres because the church is not dependent upon you and me and people making good decisions. It's on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit does whatever He wants. God does whatever He wants, and there's nothing can keep this church from being full again. If he wants it full again. We have a purpose. We know we are alive. We know we have purpose. We know we are chosen. We know that we are accepted. And these are all things, you, I don't know about you, but I struggle with. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I've let him down too much. Uh, I feel guilty for things I've done in the past. Uh, but we are forgiven. We are freed from the bondage of sin and slavery. We have, we've been bought. We are a child of God. We have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. That has the power, uh, the resurrection power to do all things through Christ Jesus. We, and he is the power. He does things that are unimaginable, more than we can imagine. We can imagine what he's going to do. And, and so as we get ready, as we come out of 2020 and go into 2021, we are not dead, okay? We are not out of this thing. We are alive in Christ. I want us to remember, for no word from God will ever fail, and I want you to know I've experienced this personally. I, I don't know about your relationship uh, with God, but there are times that the Holy Spirit comes on me different than it does at other times. That, I, that I've been overwhelmed by the sense of Him speaking to me, not audibly, but like just like in, in my, I don't know how to explain it, in my, in my gut I can feel God is doing something. And so while there are words, there are truths, there's promises He's made to you in this Word. There will be times that he lays on your heart things. That when you check them with the word of God, now, now this can get crazy. People can get crazy with this, right? God told me this, and, you, you, and this is what we're going to do. 
But I can, I can tell you there are times the Holy Spirit comes to me. I can remember driving off the exit out here when we just started the church. Uh, coming down, coming over the Walter May Bridge, the second Pikeville exit if you're coming south. I was driving down, I was looking into Pikeville, and I think we were meeting at the Silver Sneakers room at that time, at the YMCA. All, uh, well, we probably had about this many there, maybe 40. We, that's where we were meeting every Sunday. I remember driving around that exit and coming down and just God all over me, saying, this, this church is going to be downtown. This church is going to be downtown. And me beginning to question and think, really? I just, I mean, I, I, that sounds like a thing, but there's other churches downtown. I don't understand that. But I remember just feeling this overwhelming sense. I mean, if that's what God is going to do, then that's the road we're on. That's the path we're on. And when he, he gives a word, it never fails. And I remember wondering, uh, we went years after that, years after that, before we found this home here in this building. Many of you were here through that journey and wondering. I mean, this was a big deal. Coming into this building was a big deal. Some of you are new and don't know the, the story. I want you to understand that when we, when we, we, we've been saving when we started our church. We've been putting into a building fund, okay? This is how God works. We've been putting into a building fund. Eventually, we're gonna, we were meeting at Jenny Wally Theater. Now it's called the Appalachian Center for the Arts. We were renting it every Sunday morning. Uh, and I'm going to wrap up in a minute. But we were renting it every Sunday morning. We were having church in there. And uh, there was a good part of our congregation that said, we'd really like to have a permanent place. We're thankful for this place. And we were having good church. We were growing people, getting saved. It was good. But there was this feeling of unsettledness. We couldn't do things through the week. We didn't have a place. We didn't rent storefronts for our youth group. Uh, I, mean, I mean, God was in all of it. But we just wanted a place that we could call home. And, um, and, and so in a, in a turn of events that were not coincidences or luck or by chance, uh, we ended up meeting across the street because the theater caught on fire. That's the, only, that's the way God works, okay? He burns stuff up when it's time to move on. <laughs> like, you don't get it, Jared. It's time to go. So he just set the place on fire. He's like, he told the theater director, start some pyro. We're going to have some fireworks in this show. And they practiced one Saturday night, and the floor caught on fire. So we met over here. And while we were there, Kelsey, who's here today, said he looked up, and this building was for lease. And he said, you need to call that number. And I thought, there's no use in calling that number. Isn't that how we treat God? Just like Zacharias says, how's that going to happen? How are you going to do that? I'm too old. How's that going to happen? It's too big. It's, it's too much. I don't even know what the number is, but it's too much. I, mean, I don't even know what the number is. And so we, uh, we looked over, and my wife was with me, Bethany, and we were, we were parked over there, and we were looking at this door, and we saw a phone number on the door, and I thought, yeah, Kelsey's the one that convinced me I should be the pastor because he spoke truth over me at a time that I wasn't wanting to be the pastor. He just said, listen, you're the pastor. God's put it on my heart. Uh, you, you can not want to be or what? You just do whatever you want. But <laughs> God said, this is how it is. And so he said, Kelsey, I was thinking, Kelsey told me I should call, I should probably call. So I, I was looking, and we were trying to write the number down. We saw somebody walking down the stairs over here. And I thought, well, I'll just go over there and talk to whoever that is. It might be the realtor. Turned out to be the owner. And uh, walked in, and we started talking. And uh, it turns out she had, I, I'm just going to walk through this story, because I want you to see that this is not something that happens 2,000 years ago. It happens today. And it can happen in your life today. 
And so I came over and we talked to her, and, and Bethany came in, and uh, we were talking, and, uh, and, and I shared with her what we were wanting to do and kind of what we were looking for, and just how this look went over her face, and she said, you know, this was her, her husband's family's building. Her husband had passed away. He was a Gideon, faithful Christian. Most of the people in the community and all the churches around knew him, Jimmy Rogers. And after he passed away and the, the hospital had moved out of this building, it was all cubicles in here. It was all neat and tidy and doors for everybody. And Cat 5 cable ran everywhere with network ports. And, uh, and uh, it did not look like this. And she said, it's never been vacant this long. It had been vacant, I don't know, over six months. She said, it's never been vacant over six months. I started getting nervous. She's a widow. This was the main source of her income. And uh, she said, so I brought my, my women's Bible study group over here. We walked around this building. We prayed over it. We actually anointed this building. And she got the Spirit, the Holy Spirit had laid something. One of those ladies' heart. I don't even know what it was, but Janice, the lady who owns the building, she said, and one of those ladies, she said, Janice, this building's going to be a church. And Janice thought, there's no way this could be a church. I mean, she's looking at what I looked at when I walked in. It was like cubicles. And, uh, and just in that moment, in that conversation, I thought, God's at work. God is at work. You start to see these circumstances and people that he's put around you and people saying things and it's getting confirmed by other people. And then somebody else confirms it. And then all of a sudden, wait, this is, this is something happening here. And so we start to have the conversation, right, with, uh, with our leadership of the church. And we're saying, all right, we've saved this money. And I'll just share how much we'd saved. We'd been maybe three years, two and a half years. We'd put 120000 roughly dollars into a building fund. With anticipation that eventually we'd buy a piece of property, build a building, own, own a church, right? And all of a sudden, we're faced with this decision where, wait, God spoke to me coming down the X ramp and said, we're going to be downtown Pikeville. This lady, this building's never been vacant this long. We happened to be over there because the theater caught on fire. She brought the Bible study group over. She prayed over it and anointed it. said, it's going to be a church. I'm feeling like I should have a church, like our church should be in town. We're starting this conversation. We've saved this much money. But we got, right, there's, there's a conservative, there's a business side that says, that is crazy to rent a building and remodel it and put all that money you saved into it, it's something you're not going to own. But God's church is not called to be in the investment business. We're called to be in the discipleship business. And so we got a contractor, come give a quote, tell us, how much will it be to, to do this? This is the picture that was in our head. Uh, and we basically tried to share that with them and, and, and said, how much to do this? How much you think the first quote was to do this work? We needed 200 more dollars. I'm telling you, that is not a coincidence. They said, uh, I mean, we can do what you want, but it's going to be about, I, think, I don't know the exact numbers, $120,200. Okay, that was when our building fund, and we had some in operations. I thought, we can probably transfer 200 out of operations. But all of a sudden, we start to struggle with this decision. Are we going to put, does this mean, wait, we're, we're going to spend every dollar we save to be in a building we don't own? Or are we going to say, God gave us every penny we needed to be where he called us to be and do what he called us to do. 
Let me tell you, the leadership of this church said, we don't care about the money. We care about the will of God. And that's what a leadership team is supposed to do. They're not there to make business decisions like a board on a nonprofit. They are each there to seek, God, what do you want us to do? It may not make sense financially, but what do you want us to do? We're going to be good stewards, but we'll do things you call us to do. And there's people in this building right now that have found faith, found Christ, that showed up because we were here. So what does it mean when we've got this building, this space downtown, that there's not a cheap lease every month, when you have a 2020? And it feels silent. And we went four months, I think, three or four months. Me and Adam were the only two that walked in the building. And we start to think, God, why in the world did you bring us to this place if this is the future of the church? But you see, I have a hope. That I've seen everything God has done to bring us here. That I have no doubt He has a plan for the future. Of what He is going to use this place as His presence to do. I could share stories just like that about the closet, about the market, about our love covers, about the gym, about, I mean, God is doing things in Pikeville. We're just like here hanging on to his coattails. Following his lead. See, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they found true hope. Real hope. And knowing that this wasn't just about going through the motions, it wasn't just about the, 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 the stories and about the rules, it was about a real relationship with a God that loved them. And this son they were getting ready to have was John the Baptist. He, he, he became the one who baptized Jesus himself, the one who's laid himself to the side and said he started his own ministry. He was a crazy dude. I mean, he wore camel hair and all this crazy stuff, lived out in the wilderness, the desert. I'd love to have met him. I mean, he was not, he did not have a suit and tie on. I'll tell you, he didn't fit in with the Pharisees. But he started telling people, uh, you know, these sacrifices and these rules aren't enough. You need to repent. I can't forgive your sins. Somebody's going to come who will forgive your sins. And he had this big following built for him, all these disciples. And you know what started happening when Jesus came along? You know what John said, or, or what John the Baptist said, and what we all need to say? He, he said, I need to become less. My kingdom, my story, my status that I'm building, all the followers I have, that they are for you, Jesus. And we find that his disciples began to go and follow Jesus. And John the Baptist was totally okay with that. He was constantly saying, I don't even, I'm not even worthy to strap his sandals. But this is the story. This is how the Christmas story starts. This is how the New Testament starts. 400 years of silence. And then God speaks. God will speak again. God is moving. He is at work. 
Because when God says it is, it is. I mean, there's no question. When God says it is, it is. We're going to close with a song here called Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem. And there's words in here that just struck me. Uh, Waylon's going to, he, he pre recorded this for us. We're going to share him singing it. And there's a, there's a line in this song that says, All our hopes and fears are what? Are met in thee tonight. Not just Zacharias and Elizabeth and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men, not just the people who lived then. All our hopes and fears were met in Jesus Christ, in Bethlehem, when he was born and began the process of God offering salvation to the world. Let's stand, let's uh, listen to the song, let's sing it together. You may have been in your moment of silence, your stretch of frustration. You may have been, walked into this morning, say, I'm the one that's been going through the motions. That I forgot how powerful God is and, and that I've not been really trusting. I've been praying and I've been kind of trusting him. But I forgot that he can absolutely do the impossible. That no word of God will ever fail. That nothing with God is impossible. And I want to recommit, I want to trust, and I want to believe in him. Most of all, the most impossible thing he did was the grace he offered to each and every one of us, sinful, broken, uh, deserving of death because of our sin and our, our failures. All of a sudden, we become righteous and holy when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So leave this morning knowing that when God says it is, Wow. Well.
So oh. 